I invite you to take your Old Testaments and turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. We're going to be talking about family values and morals this morning. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And also, you're going to want to get your study guide out. It says 1110 presentation, family morals and values. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. You have at the top of your study guide the six secrets of strong families. I've already been over them, so I'm not going to go through them again, but you've got them there. But one of the ones is they spend time together as a family. They spend time together as a family. This morning I want to talk to you about why that's important for Christians because we have some expectations for our children and some things that we want to happen and that happens within the family context. So are you in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Go down to verse 4. This is going to be the text for our presentation this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols upon your hands and bind them among your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I want you to notice something. Godly morals and values are instilled through the ordinary, everyday family reaction. We have, uh, at our congregation, we've had some uh, children who were homeschooled. That is to say, the parents didn't send them to the public schools or to the private schools. They schooled them at home. And somebody asked me my opinion of homeschooling, and I told them, I said, all children are homeschooled. Because the home is the context and the format in which children pick up their basic values and concepts about life. And if you look very closely at this verse here, he says, now you have this relationship with God, you have this faith, you have these morals, you have these values, talk to your kids about them. And he doesn't say set them down and give them a lecture. He says in the ordinary interactions of family life, children soak up values. He says, when you're sitting at home, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, you don't have to give a lecture. It's just the comments and the remarks and the actions that you take. Those are the most effective way to transmit your faith and your values. When parents are spending time with their children in ordinary family interactions, that's when children learn best. However, I've got to tell you, Here's the key assumption. The key assumption for God's teaching format here is that there will be family interaction. That families will be spending time together. Clearly God intends for parents in the course of their everyday interactions with their children to give them faith lessons. But God is making an assumption that we can't necessarily make today. And that is that parents and children are going to be spending time 
together. That is why the number one secret of strong families is that they intentionally spend time together as families. What makes healthy, happy homes? What makes strong families and good kids? It's time together. Time together. Positive, proactive time together. And I've been all over this country from New York to California and every space in between doing family seminars. And people always ask me, Dan, when did we lose control of family time? When did life get so crazy? When did life get so busy? When did it change? There's a lot of questions I can't answer. But that one I can. I'll tell you exactly when we lost control of family time. It was between 1935 and 1950. If you're filling in your blanks, I'll tell you when the world changed. Some of you can remember some of this. Some of us don't recognize that it wasn't always this way. But here's when the world changed. Between the years of 1935 and 1950, and it had a dramatic impact on family functioning and the health of our homes. Four things happened. Number one, the world changed because between 1935 and 1950, we stopped living on the farm. In 1935, the majority of American families lived on a working farm. By 1950, the majority of American families lived in towns and cities. One of the biggest social migrations in human history happened in the space of 15 years. Let me take a survey here. How many people here right now make your primary income, you live on a working farm? How many folks right now live on a working farm? Okay, we've got several folks. I count one, two, three, five, four hands. How many people grew up on a farm? How many people? Oh, a lot more of us. How many people had grandparents who farmed for a living? A lot more people. You have just confirmed my thesis. I've done this everywhere I've gone, and it's always the same thing. There's a few hands. Yeah, we're still on the farm today. A lot more hands. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. And a whole lot of hands. Grandpa and grandma lived on a farm. That's how the world changed. You're saying, well, what difference does that make? Well, it makes a big difference for family interaction. Because when you live on a farm, what are the kids doing? <laughs> Working. On a farm, a child is an asset because it's another set of hands. And they're working alongside their families, their parents. They're together on one of the most vital dimensions of human existence, work. They have time to talk and see each other and spend time together. When daddy's going off to the plant and mama's going off to the hospital or the shop or whatever, they're spending eight of the most valuable hours of the day away from their children. And family life has shifted. Now, I'm not saying let's all go back and live on a farm. I don't want to go back and live on the farm. But we better recognize family time doesn't just happen anymore. It used to. It used to, you couldn't get away from it. Now you've got to make it happen. The second thing that happened between the years of 1935 and 1950 is social mobility moved us away from our extended families. About a third of all families back in 1935 had a grandparent in the home. Today, 2%. 2%. We don't have extended families. One of the hardest things, I love El Dorado, Arkansas. I've got a great church. People are good to me. They were good to my kids. But one of the hardest things about living in El Dorado, Arkansas is the closest family I had was eight hours away. And it's hard. 
It's hard to raise your kids when you don't have an extended family. It's really tough. And my experience is the experience of a great many of the people in the United States. They don't have... You know, Gene and I like to watch uh, The Waltons. That's about the only show we really watch on a consistent basis of The Waltons, uh, you know, because everything else is just trash. But... In the Waltons, what's different about it? Well, Grandpa and Grandma are right there in the house. You had three generations in the same house. Very rarely does that happen anymore. The third thing that happened, happened in December the 7th, 1941, and that is Pearl Harbor. Everybody recognizes Pearl Harbor. And somebody says, well, what in the world did you tell me that for? I know Pearl Harbor. What's that got to do with families? Well, anybody want to take a wild guess what happened? Of course, World War II started, but what happened that infected families? Women entered the workforce. They've been there ever since. Women entered the workforce. In 1935, if a woman was working outside the home full-time, unless she was a school teacher or a nurse, chances were very good her husband was either dead or a deadbeat. Most women spent full-time as homemakers. That's not true anymore. And for the past 25 years, the average American's work hours has increased 10%. Now, I'm not going to get into an argument about whether women ought to work outside the home or not. That's not my purpose this morning. I will tell you the decision that we made is that uh, Gina, when our first child came along, she quit work and she stayed out of the workforce until they went back into school. And then she gradually made her way back in. That worked for us. And I will also tell you that when we made that decision, I had to swallow hard because I was a poor young preacher, and poor young preachers don't make a whole lot of money. She had a real good job working for the United States government, and we had to swallow hard. But we did. It's one of the best decisions we ever made. Uh, we probably gave up a whole lot of money. I don't even want to think about that. Because, but you know what? God blessed us richly. We're doing just fine, and our kids are doing good. My point is simply this. You better recognize when you've got two folks who are spending the better part of the day outside the home Dads, we got to step up. If that's what you choose to do, we got to step up. We got to help. We got to take a more active role in family life. And then finally, the invention of something was invented in, I think it was 1939. No, it debuted at the World's Fair in 1939, and it had a dramatic impact on family time. Who can tell me what it was? Television. The invention of television that debuted at the World's Fair in 1939. And we did something really interesting at my church a couple of years ago. We had an intergenerational class. We had the older folks and the younger folks. We had the parents and the children in the class together. And we were talking about family life. We did a family life class with everybody. And we assembled a panel of adults who grew up without television. That is to say, they were children before 1939. And we just asked them to describe what their childhood was like. And the kids in the audience, their eyes got big as saucers. They could not imagine not having television. Now, if you're going to do that here, you better do it quick because there's not very many people who can remember that anymore. But some of you here can remember before television. And one of the things that we actually found was that when television was first invented and first uh, came into the, actually when radio, it actually brought people together. In fact, sometimes the whole neighborhood would come because, you know, somebody, they were the only ones that had television and they, we had them, they were telling us about, you know, the first person in the, in the neighborhood to get radio and folks would come and bring chairs and they'd all gather around and listen to it. Today, Television isolates us because everybody's got their own television. And in fact, every member of the family's got their own television. And so it isolates us. Pat? I was just going to talk about television. My grandparents, uh, I, think I, I, kept, I think WSMB is They actually had a photographer come to their house and take a picture of them watching the first television show. Is that right? But I don't mean television. 
Okay. Back then, that was big news. They actually were in the paper. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Television is on in the average home between six to seven hours. All day, every day. Six to seven hours in the average home. Television is on in the average home six to seven hours a day. Now, why am I telling you that? <clears throat> the National Institute of Health, it's a government agency, Common Sense Media reviewed 173 studies of the effects of media consumption on children. That is to say, they're watching a lot of television, they're on the internet, they're on these activities. They found a strong correlation. Now, they can't say causation because we can't do uh, controlled studies. We can't make some kids bad and some kids good. We can't do that, but you can do correlations. They found a strong correlation between exposure to media and adverse health outcomes. Childhood obesity, tobacco use, sexual behavior, drug and alcohol use, low academic achievement. And, by the way, there's evidence of a relationship between media exposure and ADHD. Sometimes folks say, man, we got all this ADHD now. And I always ask them, one of my assessments when I work with cases like that is how much, how many video games are they using? Especially, have you ever noticed video games? How, how spastic they are, how quick they are, how they blare and they work on kids' minds? We need, we need to think twice about what we're doing with all of this. Strong exposure to childhood obesity and low academic achievement. And the shorthand way of saying that is your kids watch a lot of television, it makes them fat and dumb. Okay? Makes them fat and dumb. Sexual content occurs on 83% of the most popular adolescent programs, and a great big study came out just last year and made a big splash, and then it kind of receded again. The more teens watch sexually explicit shows, the more likely they are to become sexually active, which kind of makes sense. Of course, it was big news in the research world, but it, was, it makes sense because they're being groomed, they're being educated, they're seeing a lot of sexual activity, and what are they going to think? They're going to think, well, I need to get in on that. I need to be a part of that. And by the way, a teen at the 90th percentile of viewing such shows, and ones that we're watching a lot of them, was twice as likely to become sexually active as the child at the 10th percentile. That is to say, they don't watch it very much. Now, that's a pretty strong finding. You need to know what your kids are watching. And if you don't know what your kids are watching, you need to wake up. You need to know what they're watching. One of the strongest and most consistent correlations they found was between heavy TV viewing and aggression and violence. Okay? Which, again, kind of makes sense, because what are they watching on television? What are, mo what are so many of the shows displaying? You know, the average policeman, the average policeman can go through his entire career without firing a gun in anger. On television, he kills three people every ten minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's just nonstop violence, and that's what they're watching. Teen boys spend more time playing video games. Girls spend more time listening to music. African-American children watch more TV and video games. Children of higher social status read more, use the computer more, and watch TV less. All right, so there's a correlation there, and you better pay attention to that. Here's the real problem with media exposure, the real problem. The major problem with children's television use is not obesity, not sexual activity, not tobacco use, not academic performance. The real problem, hours that are spent on screen are hours that are not spent with people. Now, why is that important? Well, 
What did we say a few minutes ago in our first conversation? Where are people made? They're made in homes. How are they made? They're made through interaction. They're made through affirmation. They're made through encouragement. How do you build strong, capable adults? You take kids and you spend time with them in a good family. Children develop in interaction with parents. There's a very strong correlation between parental interaction with children and children's vocabulary and language acquisition. One of the biggest differences between welfare children, non-performing academic children, and higher-performing children is the higher-performing children had parents who talked to them. Who talked to them. They did a huge study of welfare children and non-performing academic children and higher-performing. They went in their homes, spent thousands of hours, and what they found out was the kids that aren't doing well in school, their parents aren't talking to them at home. Where did God say family, faith, morals, and values are instilled? We just read it, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Where did he say it? In the home with the parents as the parents spend time with the children. What am I telling you is the problem with television? Children are not spending time with parents anymore. Who's raising them? Television. Television. And that's the problem. There's a great quote there by a very famous psycho, a psychologist named Yuri Bronfenbrenner, child developmental specialist. He says that well, by the way, I need to say today we should amend that to screen time because it's not just television anymore. Now it's video games. Now it's the computer. Uh, we even have computers in cars now, or videos in cars now and phones, cell phones. I see, by the way, I see 8-year-olds with Facebook accounts, 10-year-olds with cell phones. And when kids have cell phones, what are they spending all their time doing? Texting. Texting. I've actually had in counseling sessions, I've asked parents to go back and in a lot of these accounts, you know, you can pull up a computer account and see what's happening. And they are shocked to discover their children are texting at 2 a.m. And it's no wonder they're doing bad in school. It's no wonder. So now we can't just talk about television. We have to talk about screen time as well. Yuri Bronfenbrenner says this. He says, like the sorcerer of old. The television set cast this magic spell, freezing speech and action. You ever watch kids watch television? They're like zombies. They're like zombies. Turning the living into silent statues as long as the enchantment lasts. The primary danger of the television screen lies not so much in the behavior that it produces, although there is danger there. We saw that a minute ago as in the behavior it prevents the talks, the games, the family activities and arguments through which much of the child's learning takes place and through which much of his character is formed. Turning on the television set can turn off the process that transforms children into people. We had a, a teacher tell us one time when our boys were in elementary school, uh, the teacher was talking about our children, and she said, just out of the blue, she said, your kids don't watch much television, do they? And we said, well, no, they don't. We, we kind of limit their television. She said, why did you ask? How did you know? She says, I can tell 
by their behavior. She says, I, I can watch them on the playground. She says, I can tell. And that was the first time it dawned on me what was going on. Children's character, their personal and social development, is profoundly distorted by heavy media use. They're not developing. It is no wonder that we have so much problems now with impulsivity among children, with impulse control among children. They're not developing the way children used to develop, and we have got to get a handle on that. So let me give you four suggestions to tame the TV monster. Number one, do not use baby videos. And I'm talking here about baby Einstein and all those others. They sell them to you and they say, if you let your children watch these videos, it will develop their brains and their language acquisition. And It's just a bunch of hogwash. I remember two years ago, I teach at Harding Grad. I teach fam child and family development. And I told the kids in my class, I said, do not get baby videos because they're missing a crucial component. Children do not learn social development and language acquisition from watching television. They learn when their parents talk to them. And here's the crucial component that's missing. It's interaction. When a little baby coos and you go, oh, look at that. And the little baby goes, ooh, I made a noise and something good happened. The little baby's going to make another noise. Ooh. And the parents go, oh, listen, you're talking. Look at you. And the little baby goes, oh, that was cool. I'll do it again. When the little baby says something, makes a vocalization, and the parents respond to it, it's the interaction between parents and children that cause the child's language acquisition to develop. When you park a baby in front of a television video, they're seeing sound, seeing colors and flashes and lights and hearing sounds, but there's no interaction. There's no interaction. Well, anyway, two years ago, I told my class, I said, don't get baby Einstein. It's a fraud. Your kids will not develop because there's no interaction. It wasn't a month later, Disney came out and offered, we will give a full refund to any person who bought a baby Einstein video. Because they had to, and it's very rare for a company to do this, but Disney said, we will give a full refund because they had to admit they don't work. The National uh, Institute of Health and uh, one of the physicians associations, I can't remember, maybe it's the APA, came out several years ago with a recommendation that no child under two should watch any television. Zero. Zero. If they're not older than two years old, they should watch. And they, they're talking about Sesame Street. They're talking about Dora the Explorer. They should watch zero. And I, it just kills me. I go into homes and they take little, little six-month-olds and prop them up in front of a television and walk off. That's not good. Children are not developing. They're not learning faith and values. Number two, do have a family policy regarding screen time. A family policy regarding screen time. You've got to get control of this, guys. If you have children, you have television, you better get control of this and you better lay down some rules and you better do it early. More than half of children from the age of 18, 8 to 18, are given family rules about television. Fewer than half are given television rules. And, and they need to have rules. You know, one of the rules is you can't watch any television on a weeknight or a school night, or you can't watch any television until you've done your homework, or you can't watch television unless you tell us what you're watching or unless we can monitor it. There's all kinds of rules you can come up with, but you better have some. And by the way, number three, I feel passionate about no bedroom 
televisions. And I go into homes and I'm visiting with folks and their children not only have a television in the bedroom, which is atrocious, they have internet in the bedroom, which is awful, which is scary. The internet, let me tell you, is a scary place. And kids got no business being on it. But they sure don't need to be on the internet back in the bedroom where you have no idea what they're doing. You cannot monitor, you cannot limit, and you cannot control. Do not put a television in your children's bedroom. Here's the other problem with that. What happens when daddy's got a television in the den and mama's got a television in the living room and each kid's got a television in their bedroom? Where are they all going to be? Where are they not going to be? They're not going to be with each other. They're not going to be spending time with each other. And what did we say, what did God say is essential for children's development? Family interactions. You see why I'm passionate about this? Children don't develop unless you talk with them and spend time with them, have activities with them. And number, let's see, I'm going the wrong way here. Number four is offer positive family alternatives. You don't have to entertain your children, but you need to engage them. You need to do something with them. You can work together. You can work in the garden together. You can work in the yard together. You can play board games together. My, my boys to this day, when they come home, they're 28 and 30 years old, and we play uh, cards and we play Monopoly and we have the best time. They, they still, they grew up doing that and they love to spend time with their parents, which makes old dad feel pretty good. They still want to spend time with their parents and I really enjoy that. Offer positive family Alternatives, And then finally, let me wrap this up by giving you three suggestions for family life. If you're filling in your blank, number one is priorities. Priorities. And that is, the painful truth is, there are just so many hours in the day. And if you're going to make family time a priority, quite honestly, something's going to have to cut back. And I talk with families that are involved in everything under the sun except being with each other. Dad's got his hobbies, mom's got her activities, the kids have their activities. And by the way, let me get on shaky ground here. Be real careful about getting so wrapped up in sports activities with all your kids that you never have any family time. We had to eventually limit our boys, you know, one, one sport, well, actually two, because Daniel played soccer too, but, but we had to limit their activities. We, can't, you can only, we did church, we did Boy Scouts, and we would do one sport, or at least one at a time, and that was it. Because we jealously guarded our family time. We wanted time to be together. Number two is planning. Planning. you got to plan some family time. Planning. You often hear a false contrast between quality time and quantity time. And I, sometimes I have parents tell me, well, I know we don't spend much time together, but we spend quality time together. I got news for you. If you've got children, you can't do one without the other. You can't just say, okay, you got five minutes, let's have quality time. You take a four-year-old, let's sit down, let's have a quality conversation. You've got six minutes, let's do it. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be available for your kids when they can talk to you. And by the way, if you have small children, and here's another problem I'm running into in family counseling, you need to have a stable weekly schedule for your children. They need structure. They need predictability. And children need sleep. They need sleep. And I don't know why this has become such a problem, but I've got parents that let four-year-olds stay up till 10 o'clock at night. Children need sleep. 
They need to go to bed at the same time every night, and they need a whole lot more sleep than we think they do. In fact, let me tell you how much sleep they need. Up to six months old, children need between 16 to 20 hours a day. They sleep a lot, or they need to sleep a lot. Why is that? Well, because their little body is developing. Their little brain cells are just exploding, and that happens while they're sleeping. I, I used to tell my wife, I said, I, I swear I can hear them growing back there. You know, it's like a cornstalk. They're just shooting up. But they do that when they sleep. Up to 12 months, they need three hours a day and 11 to 12 hours at night. They need a lot of sleep. From one to two years, they need 12 to 13, including a couple of naps. And by the way, I recognize some children won't need quite this much, but most children do. Two to eight years, they need nine to 12 hours. They need, and a lot of them are not getting it. They're staying up late. Now, here's the kicker. This is the one that surprises people. Teenagers need a lot of sleep. They're still developing. They need eight and a half to nine and a half hours uh, to sleep to stay healthy. Eight and a half to nine. And a lot of them are not getting it. And I've had school teachers tell me one of the biggest problems they have with teenagers is they come into the classes sleep deprived and they fall asleep in class. And one of the reasons why is because they're not getting enough sleep. And by the way, here's one of the reasons why. In fact, I talked to a kid about this just a couple of nights ago. They're drinking these, these high-calorie, high-caffeine drinks, Red Bull and all those others, Monster and all those, and they're staying up. They're, some of these teenagers are wired. I mean, they're wired. You better be real careful about that. I've got to tell you, by the way, Red Bull and some of these other uh, caffeine drinks, they're actually dangerous. We had a, a guy, he was in his 20s, he was a weightlifter and he was taking some medication and he took four or five of these and he went to sleep and woke up dead. I mean, th- this stuff is dangerous. I don't for the life of me know why it's allowed on the market, but if you've got teenagers and they're guzzling this stuff, something's wrong. If they're having to drink this stuff to stay awake in school, something's wrong. They're not getting enough sleep. This, this may be one of those times where you pull up a cell phone record on a computer and find out how late they're going to bed at night, okay? But kids need this. They desperately need stable structure, and they need sleep. Create family rituals. These give children a sense of security and family identity. What is a family ritual? Well, it's just any activity that you do on a regular basis that defines you as a family. And here's how you know what a ritual is. In my family, we always, we always go to grandma's for Thanksgiving. We always have popcorn on Sunday night. We always go to church. In my family, we always shoot fireworks the 4th of July. In my family, we always this, we always that. Just things that you do together that are special as a family. How would your children answer that question? In my family, we always. You need to have family rituals because they give children security. Daily, weekly, monthly, family projects, celebrations, shared activities, family rituals. Let me say a word real quick about family meals. If you want to transmit morals and values and have strong family interactions, you need to eat together. You need to eat together. In three out of ten families, the television is on during the mealtime. That ought to be a sin. I can't find it in the Bible, and I've looked, but it ought to be a sin. Turn that thing off. Family mealtime ought to be sacred because that's where you catch up, that's where you're a family, that's where you spend time together. By the way, frequency of family meals is inversely associated with 
Tobacco, alcohol, and marijuana use, low grade point average, depressive symptoms, and suicidal involvement. To put it another way, the more often families eat together, the stronger the kids are going to be. Because that gives the family identity, it gives them interaction, it gives them structure, and it also gives them a good meal. All right? Family meal times are a protective factor in the lives of adolescents for nearly all of these variables, particularly adolescent girls. Eat together. It makes you a family. Families need less screen time and more lap time. If you're filling in the blank there, they need less screen time and more lap time. And by the way, let me, let me give you a, 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 just a, a little insight here. When you read good Christian books to your children, they get a triple benefit. Okay? I just beg parents of small children, get you some Christian books out of the library, take them home and read them to your children. They get a triple benefit. They get character development because your children learn good moral values. They get mental development their imagination is expanded and their reading ability is improved. They're going to hit school more prepared and they get relationship development. They get a great parent-child bonding experience. My church just started something that's kind of neat. We have a, a, an endowment in our library. One of our families gave $100,000 to endow the library and we have a children's book drive. We will give... Uh, a couple of times a year, we will give a free book to every child in Bible school if their parents will sign them up and agree to read it to them. And those kids, they're so excited, they come running out with their books on the Sunday morning in Bible school when they get their free book because it's got their name on them. Mr. Dan, Mr. Dan, look, this is my book. This is my book. I said, what are you going to do with that book? Mama's going to read it to me and Daddy's going to read it to me. I said, well, that's good. You take it home and you let them read it to you. That's so good. That is so positive. You don't have to give them a book. Get it out of the church library, but read your children books. And then finally, perspective. Perspective. If you're filling in your blanks, number three is perspective. When we're talking about family time, folks, there is nothing more important. Nothing more important than spending time with our families. And there is no other place where you are as irreplaceable as in your family. There's no other place where you are as irreplaceable as in your family. And here's the other one. Guys, you don't have forever. I'm here to testify. You blink twice and they're grown and gone. So if you're going to have some family time, you better start now. Barbara Bush, one of my favorite people, she says, she made an address at Wellesley College and she told those career ladies, she says, as important as your obligations as a doctor, lawyer, or business leader will be, you are a human being first. And those human connections with spouses, children, and friends are the most important investments you will ever make. Now listen to this. <clears throat> she said, at the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a friend, a child, or a parent. I'm a preacher. I'm the guy who goes to the deathbed. I'm the guy that visits the hospital and sees them into eternity. I've had many a person at the end of their life tell me the things they regretted as they look back. 
I've never had anybody say, Dan, if I had it to do over again, I would have spent more time at the office. I would have made more widgets or even I would have made more money. Nobody ever says that. If they ever have a regret, regret, one of the things they say is, I wish I'd spend more time with my family. Well, I don't want you to have that. So you have the perspective that this is going to be an important priority of your life. Last thing and we're done. You don't really spend time with your family. Family time is never spent. It is invested. Because when you are engaged with your family and you're investing in your children's development, it pays rich dividends. You don't spend time with your family. You invest it. Two guys were talking one Friday afternoon at the water cooler at work. One guy said, what are you doing this weekend? What do you got planned? He said, well, I'm going to be with my kids. And the first guy said, oh, you're babysitting. And the first, second guy said, no, I'm not babysitting. I'm being their father. That's what it means to be a parent. You're going to be there. You're going to be with them. And in that time that you spend, you're going to be instilling. It's going to happen. Your character, your faith, and your values. Let's close with a prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us, for the families from which we came, for the families that we have. Father, bless us that we might be invested in our families, that we might make the time and take the time to share our faith with our children, and that we can show our faith to our children by the love that we give to them. Father, help us to get our priorities straight and our perspective fixed. And help us, dear God, to share the good news of Jesus, beginning with our own loved ones. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.